Hello and welcome to this interview special episode of Tech.eu podcast. I am your host, Andrew Degler, and today I would like to play you an interview with Malte Horizek, the co-founder at SellerX. We have discussed the company recently on this show and also on TechEU in a piece by Jonathan Keane uh, after the company raised 100 million euros in funding to buy and grow businesses that sell goods on Amazon. I am still, however, quite fascinated by this whole industry, so I got on a call with Malta the other week to dive deeper into it. So, just, just a question, is this just small talk or are we starting already? <laughs> uh, both. But before we get to the conversation, I have got another important announcement. This week, we are preparing the episode number 200 of the TechEU podcast. The show has been around for over five years already, and I have been hosting it myself for the last two years and a bit, and it's really, really, really hard to believe how time flies. The show would certainly not have been possible without you. Yes, you listening right now. We are extremely grateful to every subscriber of the podcast and everyone listening to the show on our website. And this time, you know what? We want to actually hear your voice. Are you in? Go to tech.eu slash voicemail and leave us a message. Introduce yourself and tell us what the European tech ecosystem means for you. Tell us a joke, tell us an anecdote, tell us a story, anything you've got to say on the topic, really. The episode number 200 comes out on Friday, and we will air your comments on it. Once again, it is tech.eu slash voicemail. I will also leave the link in the show notes. Join the conversation and let us hear your voice. Now back to regular programming and let us listen to the co-founder of SellerX, Marte Horizek. So first of all, of course, uh, congrats uh, with the uh, with the fundraising. Uh, it's a great, great job. Thanks a lot. One of the biggest seed rounds uh, in European tech, I think. So, uh, and I gather that it's mostly debt and a little bit of equity. Was that a conscious decision? Was that how you wanted it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, obviously, uh, the majority of the round is, is debt uh, because in in our business model, we need a we need a lot of funds to acquire sellers. So it's a it's a typical roll up situation where you're acquiring actually profitable businesses, which um, is basically financeable through debt. Yeah. All right. Is this something you had a prior experience with before founder? Yeah, Philip, my co-founder, uh, has very extensive um, experience in, in the finance sector. Um, so he had a background with both Goldman Sachs. Uh, hasn't been an entrepreneur himself. And for the past three years, uh, he has done a few roll-ups uh, himself in different industry, in healthcare industry, etc. And me, myself, I uh, yeah, most dominantly have an e-commerce background for the past 10 years, but I've also acquired two companies in my, in my past as well. So uh, it's quite familiar, the, the whole process. Right. And you had lived in Brazil, if I'm not mistaken, right? Before coming back to Germany. Exactly. Yeah. For the past past 10 years, I've been, been living in Brazil. And um, yeah, due to Corona... I kind of said, okay, if I don't go, if I don't go back to to Germany to Europe right now, it will never happen. I've been uh, say, I've been saying that for three four years already. So <laughs> I see. So uh, I'm just really trying to understand a bit better how this whole thing works. So first of all, at this at this moment, do you only acquire uh, brands that are active on Amazon.de? No. So basically, um, I mean, our, our footprint is definitely global. Um, we, our business model is to acquire FBA uh, Amazon sellers. Um, so wherever there is Amazon with a marketplace, then the fulfillment option FBA, which is fulfillment by Amazon, potentially um, we, we, we can acquire an, an Amazon seller. So uh, our focus, however, is on the US and, and Europe. 
Right. And uh, what happens to a business after you purchase it? Can you just like walk me through like steps that happen afterwards? Of course. Um, I mean, there's there's kind of three bigger phases. Uh, one is obviously the, the onboarding process, um, where basically first you want to learn as much uh, about the business. Uh, it's not, we don't have the approach, oh, now you forget everything and we do everything better first. We really want to understand the nitty-gritty detail um, about uh, the, the seller, the, the team in many cases, and the business. Um, and at the same time, uh, onboard it into, into our structure. Um, mm -hmm. That's usually um, a process that takes uh, one to two months. It's basically a checklist where you go through all, yeah, let's say in the boarding, onboarding process, more the, the, the fast, the low-hanging fruits, which is most the digital stuff. Um, you know, how's the content, are the improvements in the content and marketing and pricing, etc. So things that, that you can check relatively quickly, but also um, the brand positioning. Are we well positioned? Should there be a repositioning? Etc. So it's but it's more like the onboarding process and getting this this first you know plug it into to our processes and and try to get the first efficiencies out and then uh, the second uh, wave then is more an ongoing um, continuous improvement process especially of things that take a little bit longer for example if it's if it's product improvements uh, I mean we have lots of feedback right through reviews etc we we know if there are certain things that can be improved um, with a, with the product. Uh, that's obviously something we want to do. Um, you know, our mm -hmm. vision is really to have great quality products. That's the best way also to continue having good reviews. So, um, but I mean, most of the supply chains are with, uh, from, from Asia, basically. So every change in, in product takes uh, four to six months to be realized. So that's something more right. medium term. And then, and then long term, obviously, um, you know, our vision is to, to create um, direct-to-consumer brands. You know, obviously, Amazon is a, is a great is a great first step, but then, um, you know, you really need more space to also express content, more content around the the your brand, and then basically your own presence on your own website and social media is very important as well. And that's more uh, a long term game. Right. Yeah, th th that's what I also uh, had uh, in mind. Uh, so uh, you were saying that you want to create this uh, D2C brands. Does it actually mean that you would consider spinning off? some of these uh, brands uh, into like a big wild world uh, outside of Amazon? Yes, for sure. Um, that's definitely part of the strategy. So if you think about how direct-to-consumer brands have been created before or tried to be created before, it was, you know, you have a great product, create a, build a great brand around it. Um, now you create your shop and you raise money and spend it all on customer acquisition <laughs> um, because it's very, it's very expensive, especially if you have a limited portfolio. Um, you know the metrics just didn't make sense in most of the times. So basically, the way the way we think about it, we do it the other way around, right? So we look at the most competitive platform, sales platform in the world, which is Amazon, and uh, look at uh, who who's the the winner in in the biggest categories that that we think are, are favorable. Um, so we, we purchase, um, you know, that seller um, with his products that have a sales history over a few years with stable prices, proven quality, basically a proven, a proven business. But those businesses sometimes are still called Maltese yoga mats. So there is quite some, mm -hmm. it just started like that and then never changed. So there's quite some improvement on the branding side and, you know, the product display side. And, and I think also like nowadays, there's, there's quite some opportunity to really add content that has value to the, to the customer. This could be little videos uh, of the application of the product, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and Amazon gives you very limited space. So definitely, um, you need to reach out um, to channels outside of Amazon as well, which is your, your own website, social media, which can also then drive sales back to Amazon. But, um, purely on Amazon, it's difficult to build a brand. Right. So uh, yeah, taking, uh, uh, 
paraphrasing from previous interviews that I read with you and uh, Philip. So you're looking for evergreen products like household goods and pet supplies and gardening supplies and art crafts and stuff like that. Uh, you, As you just said, you're looking for one, two years of good performance and great reviews. So the question is, how do you actually find these brands? Do you have any like very special tools that you analyze uh, Amazon marketplaces with? Uh, do they come uh, to you uh, themselves? Uh, how does it work? Yeah, so it's uh, it's all of the all of the above. So um, <laughs> first of all, um, I mean through the media coverage, uh, obviously, uh, I mean there's a flood of inquiries coming in through our website. Uh, there's like a little mm -hmm. template where you can you know just state um, the storefront and kind of indicate how how big you you are, and uh, then our team is coming back to you within two days with uh, you know uh, with almost a, like a free free valuation if you fit into our criteria. Um, so that's one, and uh, this is this is pretty big since since we launched our PR. Um, the second one is obviously it's a proactive outreach. It's a, it's a very transparent market. Um, there's lots of tools uh, that also Amazon sellers always use to find the next niche for the next products they want to launch. So it is a very very transparent world where um, you know you can you can crawl through um, you know Amazon products. You know how much they sell. You know the margin profile. Uh, you can see the review modes uh, and, the, and the review scores. So it's a, it's, so we built, um, there are tools in the market, but we also built our own tools um, to kind of have a like automatic evaluation and scorecard um, mm. of, of the sellers that we, so we can identify them automatically and then uh, reach, reach out to them practically. And then also there's a, there's actually a broker market as well. You could uh, think of it like a real estate market, you know, where, where a broker uh, tries to, tries to sell FBA businesses, either in a very specialized form or just a general M&A broker. And, and all of those have um, pros and cons. Uh, the outreach to us, obviously right. the person is kind of ready to sell. When we reach out, it's more the top of the funnel, right? So, we need to still qualify him. Some some of the sellers don't even know they can sell, right? So they <laughs> they, they think, okay, we're just selling products on Amazon, um, you know. Uh, but obviously, now they realize that they have a business that has value in the market. So, but there's some some education I think is, is necessary in in the process. And obviously, in the in the brokerage channel, um, you know, the broker does that work for you already, um, gives all of the education, prepares the seller for the sale, and uh, you're closer to to the to the closing date right away. Right. And you just mentioned uh, this uh, Chinese uh, uh, supply chains. And I have to say there is pretty fine line between basically having uh, the supply chain and having uh, so-called brands that would just be uh, selling white label stuff uh, bought uh, from uh, uh, Chinese uh, manufacturers. And uh, as someone who has been buying on Amazon.de for a while, that is before we got our own Amazon in the Netherlands, I can I can tell that there is a whole bunch of products that look exactly the same and just have this uh, different logo in the corner. So is this something you're also looking for or is it something that you're just trying to avoid uh, buying? Yeah, so I mean, if you look at the the spectrum of product uniqueness, you you will find everything from exactly what you mentioned, uh, a thousand products that are exactly the same, or at least look exactly the same on the pictures. That's a difference, yeah. actually, towards something super unique that it maybe even um, you know has a patent, um, so it's it's protected. So we're looking at at products uh, throughout the whole range. Um, to, mm -hmm. be, to be honest, I mean. Obviously, a patented product gives you lots of comfort in, in terms of defensibility of your of your product and bring it to other markets. So that's yes. that's obviously um, the dream situation. But even if you go down, um, you know, towards the more let's say commoditized uh, options, where where you have, where you think you or you you feel you see many uh, many many different very similar products on the website, 
um, that's where we, we we would also be interested, especially if that product has just a very high review mode. So really a review mm-hmm. advantage, which just means, look, this, this guy has been around, uh, had tons of sales, tons of reviews. People love the product. Uh, and also if, if people... So there's kind of a, a difference um, of the people that you know just bought the product for the first time have quality issues, and then you relaunch better variants of that same mm-hmm. product over time. And the best indicator for for happy customers with a good product is really the review mode. And we also have a way how to make sure that all of those reviews are legit uh, and that those are those are those are real. It's kind of an automatic due diligence that we do, um, mm-hmm. looking at. How many of those reviewers have reviewed other products? Uh, is there a phrase repetition, something automatic? Have reviews, reviewers have their reviews deleted somewhere else, et cetera. So we basically run uh, all of the, the reviews through, through our due diligence to, to be really sure that this is, this is legit. And then it's, it doesn't really uh, necessarily matter if there's other people offering the product because you'll be displayed on top. Uh, consumers will decide for, for you. And mm-hmm. you would be surprised how many other brands that are selling offline <laughs> also sell the same same product. <laughs> and uh, do you actually, through through this uh, uh, process of validation of reviews, do you see a lot of fake reviews in general? It depends. So um, I think Amazon got much, much better at it. I think a few years ago, let's say three years ago, um, I think it was more of a gray zone. And uh, mm-hmm. I think there there was more... What is fake review? Um, but I mean, there's reviews that you would question <laughs> if they're if right. they're legit. And then I think so. Amazon got really much much stricter on it and uh, has those algorithms itself and is deleting reviews uh, off of mm-hmm. um, of SKUs. So um, I think for the past two years that hasn't been an issue anymore. So what what we've what we've seen is um, it got it got much much better. Right. Okay. And uh, getting back to the question of what happens to businesses, so that's more or less uh, clear. What what happens to the merchants? Because also, if in one of the interviews, I see that uh, your co-founder said that some sellers will stay on for a while after acquisition to help, whilst others are yeah. looking to cash out and pursue something else. So how does it work for the merchant? Is there a time that they actually have to stay on board uh, to, to sort of help you take over? Uh, how does it work? Yeah. So, I mean, we require a minimum transition period. Um, mm-hmm. This is anything between one and two months, um, because as I said at the beginning, we, we really want to understand the business uh, and you cannot do that from one day to another. So, um, and we also want to make sure that we, that we onboard it um, and the on- onboarding process has been completed uh, before, before the seller can go. Uh, however, um, you know, with the acquisitions that we've done, almost all of them, uh, the sellers actually want to stay on board for up to 12 months. Um, because, I mean, there's, there's very different profiles of sellers. Some are, you know, a little bit more risk averse. They say, hey, I want the biggest portion of my, of the sales price up front. And, you know, I want to get out, pursue my own hobbies, um, or, or other projects. And others, they, they love, they love their business. It's, it's like mm-hmm. a baby, but they want to take chips off the table. But they also say, yeah, maybe, um, you know, I bet on it as well. I still can make a difference. And uh, we, make, we can even think about an earnout structure where the next 12 months really uh, can, can have a, quite a difference in, in, the, in, the, in the purchase price. So, and then those guys are obviously super, uh, super motivated to, to go the last mile uh, for, the, for the next 12 months together with us. So we're very, right. very, very psyched about that. Yeah. Right. And just out of curiosity, again, uh, as someone who buys an Amazon once in a while, what does it mean for the for the consumer? Do I actually see uh, if something changes uh, when you take over a brand? Well, hopefully things get nicer, <laughs> beautiful pictures, <laughs> <a> good <laughs> description, etc. 
but other than that uh, i mean you basically just see the the sellers underneath the product title um you mm-hmm. know there, there's basically a little link to to the brand obviously we take over the brand the brand shop everything is the same uh but underneath the purchase button there's basically the a little link to the company um that is really selling selling to you but even that doesn't mm-hmm. really change uh, the only thing that changes there is the is the administrator uh, which will be uh, philip and, and i in, in that company instead of the, the previous seller so that's basically uh, everything that, that changes for you as a consumer so you need to click two or three times and at places that you need to know <laughs> to see our names come up but other than right. that you know nothing really changes other than what i said all of the the improvement potential that we we hope to unlock Right. And do you actually change a lot in the product itself or is it mostly about uh, marketing and branding and this kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely about the product. And I think, you know, it's 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 quite a unique situation where you you have thousands of reviews on a, on a, on a product, uh, good and yeah. uh, some obviously bad, where you can improve certain features. So that is uh, one of the first things we we, ca- we catch in the um, in the transition period, actually in our due diligence before already. It's part of our, our due diligence how to uh, evaluate the seller. And, and we, we go about it right away. But obviously, as I said, it's just the lead time with, with Asia. It, take, it takes a little bit until, until better variants mm. arrive. But um, you know, we have a very um, strict screening process. Uh, so if there's anything really off, we would rather pass on the seller. It is more you know, adding a certain feature um, you know, that, that the product, that the customers uh, w- would like, etc. Mm. So. But but definitely, yeah. We um, think about um, you know better products with new features, uh, new variants. Uh, many times, you know, there's a black dog leash, and that's it. Why not launch the red one and the green one and the brown one, the white one, whatever? Uh, right. Different sizes, so to just give more more variety in selection for for products mm-hmm. that already have uh, have proven proven themselves. And then you can also do a lot with bundles. You know, just um, you know bundle a, a couple of the same products together or similar products that you can use together. Right. Yeah, of course. And uh, how many how many brands have you already acquired? Well, um, in terms of brands, it's it's a lot because a few sellers have multiple brands. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but also in, in terms of sellers, we, we don't really disclose the, the, the number. It's a few. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, but they have a revenue run rate of, I think right now we're already over 20 million. Um, All right. And we still have one, one more seller to be acquired next week. Yeah, what what we stated in the newspapers actually also came true. <laughs> right. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah, I remember that number from uh, from one of the interviews. So, and uh, what kind of money are we talking here? Like, how much an FBA business cost, and uh, not any FBA business, but like uh, the one that you would be targeting? What's your yeah. ticket size? Well, so we are in terms of acquisition criteria, we're looking at uh, at sellers that sell around between one and ten million uh, euros or dollars, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the region. And you know, I think our, our favorite size is is anything between two and five. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, just because if smaller sellers obviously are a bit lower on the on the growth curve, um, so the bigger the target, the more professional it already gets, the more yeah. you know, maybe less improvement potential you have, and. You need to be really sure about the the, the growth uh, potential if you if you go to the, mm-hmm, to the higher mm-hmm. targets, and uh, yeah, that's basically the range and, and the way the way we value um, the companies. It's, it's similar to any other valuations in, in private equity. Uh, it's basically a multiple on a, on a on the on a profit line, basically, which mm-hmm. uh, it's a contribution margin. That's how we call it. It's basically the profit after all variable costs, and then um, you know it's typically a multiple on that plus the inventory, and that's how how you value it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I see. I see. In one of the stories uh, that it's normally at least at least in the U.S. it's uh, two point five to four times uh, EBITDA. Is this close to what you do? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I think in in Germany, uh, the market has not been that competitive. So right. uh, I would rather say it starts at uh, at two, um, mm-hmm. and and then depending on the target, obviously it go it goes up. And what drives uh, the price is obviously growth, profitability, you know, potential of the of the of the future, uh, and at the same time, just size, right? So larger yeah. targets usually are typically a bit more expensive than uh, than than smaller ones. Right. And since you mentioned being competitive on the market, we've got Trezio, we've got Brands United, Thirsty, Zillow's, Orange Brands, Razor. I'm just reading from a list here, of course. So how do you compete with them? And what is your sort of USP to uh, to these sellers? Is it just about money or is there, is there something else? No, it's not just about money. Obviously, uh, it's it's obviously one of very important parts. So, what what do we need really to to be successful? I think uh, are three things. One is obviously the money. Otherwise, you couldn't acquire any businesses. And I think we are very well set up. Um, you know, not in terms of the amount of the money, but the quality of our investor investor base. Um, you know, with Cherry Ventures, Felix Ventures, um, I think top VCs in Europe, Village Global, Silicon Valley, our Silicon Valley connection, where the who is who of Silicon Valley is invested. So, and then also in terms of angel angel investors, um, you know, we have D- David Schneider from Zalando, one of the founders of Zalando. We have the founders of Kavi Commerce, the best, the biggest seller um, here in, in Europe. Chris North, ten year uh, Amazon UK CEO, etc. So, and the list goes on. So, we really have, uh, we really wanted to to make sure that we have the right people on board, strategic equity investors, and then with Triple Point, our our debt investor. Uh, we can go go all the way, right? So mm-hmm. um, they can they can even double, double or triple uh, the the first commitment that that they've that they've given. So we're very happy on that front. But then there's another two things that you need to write. I mean, one is the acquisition side. Obviously, you need to identify the right sellers, uh, make sure that you acquire them at a reasonable price, um, and uh, yeah, also give the the seller a, a great experience on the way. Uh, many people ask us what what seller X is standing for. <laughs> Uh, you know, it could be many things, but what we thought about, we, we want to have a great experience. Seller X, the seller experience should be great uh, because there's there's a X amount uh, of sellers out there and they're looking for, for different things, right? There are uh, sellers that, um, you know, pursue their hobby um, and, and, you know, they're yoga teachers and structures and they sell yoga mats and that's they love it. And there's other ones that just want to get out because they just opportunistically launched something that exploded. So we really we want to really want to cater for for all of those profiles, um, and then also conservative ones or people that want to want to be on board with an earnout. So we really, I think there we really make a difference already on on the terms of, types of um, variable approaches we can have uh, to to make a deal. Um, and then obviously the third one is operations. In the end, it comes down to operations, and this is an execution game. And uh, yeah, I think that it comes to to the to the team uh, and not only the co-founders uh, obviously but uh, you know I couldn't wish for a better co-founder with with Philip um, super experienced in, in all of the the acquisition side uh, I think I've learned a few things over the past decade as well and on the operation side and uh, we we already um, we have a team of, of 30 people within SellerX and then together with the sellers that we acquired another 30 people so we're mm-hmm. over, over 60 people right now uh, and, and it's a fantastic team um, that operates, uh, I think, uh, very, very well together. And then, uh, you know, the differentiators may be a little bit about what do you want to do with all of this? Uh, and what's your what, what's your vision? And uh, I mean, we've said it before, we really want to become something like a digital Procter & Gamble. Right? Right. So, uh, and I think there's two phases to it. One is the acquisition game. I mean, obviously, there, there's this opportunity right now, the, the Amazon seller roll-up. And this will not stop, but you know, it, there's it, it will accelerate quite quite quickly right now, and uh, and then slow down a little bit, and then at the end, what what we will become is is a very well oiled uh, structure, um, you know, that that 
combines uh, awesome sourcing opportunities on, in, in Asia to, to the markets in the world and where you can then new launch products, right? Uh, uh, launch new products, new brands, uh, and, you know, focus on, on innovation and really have brand manager, product managers that are thinking about the next thing uh, rather than just buying stuff that has been uh, successful already. Uh, and we are very excited about that to really have a great portfolio of direct-to-consumer brands going forward. Right. And uh, so I read this uh, press release that uh, Trezio put out uh, the other week, and they sounded a little bit uncomfortable with uh, all the activity that's suddenly going on uh, on the German market. And one of the things that I noticed there is that um, uh, that uh, Amazon business uh, uh, buyer uh, promises to introduce uh, the products that it buys to uh, the U.S. marketplace. Is this something that you are planning to do as well? Do you do this sort of geographic expansion of the brands that, or, and sell merchants that you acquire? Yeah, for sure. Um, that's definitely part of the, the strategy. Um, I mean, one, because we, we're always looking at how can we grow the business, but grow it profitably, right? Um, and one is obviously um, through market penetration in the markets where, where you are today. Uh, the next one is, um, you know, go to, to different regions. And then, you know, the third one would be also going to different channels like your own website, mm -hmm. etc. Those are kind of the, the main drivers behind you know, in, in terms of market penetration, it is basically, um, you know, doing things better, better marketing, better content, uh, new products, better variants, etc. But for example, one thing that we're looking at, um, the first seller we bought, um, for example, had 90% of his sales in, in Germany, right? Uh, mm. But Germany within the European Amazon marketplaces should represent, depending on the category, between 30 to 40%. So just by, you know, reaching out and uh, basically reaching the saturation in those markets, you can you can double or triple the size of the seller if you do it well. And then the same is true for the US. Um, I mean, obviously, the US is even bigger. So it's a 2x on, on, on European sales volume. So um, definitely, we're, we're, looking, we're looking into that and, and bringing, bringing sellers from, from, from Europe to, to the US and the other way around as well. Right. And uh, once again, I'm going to mention something that was already said by Philip in an interview. So, And in two different stories, it's it's put in different uh, terms. So first, he said that uh, you're planning to acquire 30 to 40 businesses over the next 18 months. And then there was another place with, uh, where it was already 12 months. So, I mean, one way or the other is like two to three uh, businesses per month. How can you make uh, decisions this fast when it, uh, when it is about the, the uh, amounts of one to 10 million? Yeah. So I think the beauty of, of, of this business is, is that uh, most of the, the numbers are, um, are provided by Amazon because everyone is selling through an Amazon Seller Central account, right? That's where you register mm -hmm. your product, you list the, you, you put the listings up, uh, you receive the money, you, you pay uh, your logistics fees to Amazon because it's fulfillment by Amazon. Uh, you pay the, you know, basically most of the, of the fees and, and revenues that you're getting run through that account uh, with a few exceptions. So the, the data quality uh, to do our due diligence, it's relatively standardized and, uh, you know, and not questionable in, in any way and, and quick to analyze because it has the same format all, every, every time. So um, mm. on, on that, that, that is, I think, something where in a normal um, purchasing process, lots of the due diligence goes into to just really look at the numbers, make sure that, they're, that they, they are correct. And um, so since that source of information is, is standardized, that makes it very quick. And then obviously, um, you know, we basically in a due diligence process, we do a commercial due diligence, a financial due diligence and a legal one. Uh, and on the financial one, we also, we hire a company that helps us like really mm -hmm. look into, um, uh, you know, into single invoices that we need to check, et cetera. So uh, all of our acquisitions right now, and I know many people advertise a lot of things on the websites, but uh, we've been uh, we've been under 30 days. Uh, and um, 
And then in one thing also in, in Europe that is particular is it's not necessarily only asset deals, but also really, um, you know, the, you buy the whole, you buy the whole company. Um, so it's equity deals um, because it's just such a big difference for, for uh, the seller in terms of uh, tax that he, that he has to pay. So um, we even did those acquisitions um, where we purchased a legal entity within, within 30 days. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I noticed that uh, uh, your U.S. Uh, competitor advertises under 35 days. So I guess this is going to be uh, the new sort of uh, measurement uh, for uh, for the sellers. And speaking of competition and everything like uh, everything around it, so does it become a bubble really now that uh, it's like it's so active and it seems like everybody is gonna make uh, bigger bets on sellers that they deem to be uh, high potential ones. Uh, what do you think? What, uh, what 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 does it come to? Yeah, no, I I don't think it's gonna be a, a bubble. Uh, obviously, competition always uh, you know has has some price increases uh, coming with it. Um, that for sure. Uh, but that's it's just pricing um, uh, supply and demand. So the the good thing about this business model is we are buying profitable businesses. Right. So mm -hmm. it is not, um, you know, you're not launching a new e-commerce website and now you have to acquire customers at a customer acquisition cost uh, of whatever, 80 percent of your revenue. And then, you know, you're betting on a customer lifetime value that is not coming. So uh, in the end, this is more of a private equity game. Right. Um, because usually usually if you would uh, if you would if you would say um, there's profitable businesses that we're rolling up, uh, venture capital is not necessarily interested in that. Um, they are because um, private equity also doesn't want to fund a company that uh, you know just started, right? So I think I think this is this is really cool, a cool opportunity for to venture capital to bridge the first game before private equity come comes in, which we also saw at at, at some yeah some other some other player. But it's not a bubble, um, definitely not. Uh, multiples are reasonable. Um, they're they're going up a little bit in some cases, uh, but um, so we're very very far from anything like a bubble. Right. Yeah, so you said that right now, SellerX has uh, 30 people and then another 30 people uh, from the sellers that uh, you're acquiring. So if we say that in a year you do acquire these 30 other businesses, how big is the company going to be? Well, it, it, all, it all depends on the size, obviously, uh, the ticket of the, of the company. And that's why we also say, uh, why is it a range, uh, you know, between 30, 40 for the businesses? Um, because, you know, if you if you have a range from one million to ten million, <laughs> you yeah. know that that is obviously a factor by by ten. So um, and and typically what we see also with the smaller sellers is, is typically the seller and maybe with two assistants. Uh, and if you go um, you know up the ladder, uh, then and sometimes they have their own fulfillment um, for for their own website, etc. Then obviously you have you have much more much more employees. But um, so yeah, we we definitely um, in terms of in terms of revenue run rate, uh, we wanna we wanna crack the the one hundred million uh, by mid next year probably. So um, and then in in terms of in terms of people, um, I would just frame it like this: Let's have the the amount we need to do it well. <laughs> We're also obviously um, you know installing um, implementing lots of uh, processes, automation systems, etc. Um, that you know uh, help us scale without without just increasing um, the having to increase the team indefinitely. Um, so so yeah, I think that's that's more or less about it. And uh, are you also going to try at some point and uh, consolidate the supply chain uh, uh, in Southeast Asia, for example, or is it something that you just want to leave alone and keep it the way that uh, the merchants set it up? Well, I think it's that's an interesting angle and. 
there might be some opportunities in, in some categories where it might make sense. Uh, but in general, I believe there, there will be, in the end, there will be room for, for three parties uh, in the future of brands. Um, there, there will be the suppliers. And, mm-hmm. you know, and the suppliers will not become the brands because that's, first of all, not what they, what they know. And uh, also the, the best um, you know, economics for a supplier. Now, before it was China, now it's Vietnam. Then it goes back because there's duties. It goes back to, to our region. So that will always shift for sure. Uh, and then you know, the, the big outlets like Amazon, you know, they're just going to be bigger and bigger. Um, so you will basically have a supplier and, and the outlets. And also Amazon is not really interested in, in branding. They're a platform. They, they want to leave that to, to others. So there's room for one, one uh, you know, party in, in, the, in the middle. And uh, yeah, that 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 should be us. Um, you know, really creating uh, creating great content for a brand, great brand positioning, and making sure that uh, you know the products that you buy really fit into the brand positioning. And like, because typically, like, what a brand gives you trust, right? So if you if you buy, uh, let's say, in, in apparel, a certain brand, you know, for that price, I get a certain quality, right? Uh, if I go to H and M, I get a certain quality for my price. At Zara, I get a certain quality for my brand. And Massimo Dutti, it's another one, right? So that's basically what you stand for, um, other than aspirational, aspirational things and, and, and content. So, and I think this is this is something that that we want to do. Not necessarily, um, you know, be the most known one and in, in, in brands that just invest tons of millions into reach. But whenever you have contact with our brands, it's an authentic brand. It has a great brand positioning and the, the product quality stands uh, is, is in line with with this brand positioning right does it mean that you are going to brand yourself as like as a company that has these great brands do you want to have like your own logo on all the photos on of amazon products just like as a seal of approval sort of thing no no that's not that's not the, <laughs> that's not the plan um it, really the brand name itself uh should, should do that um right and seller x is, is is a different brand um you know it's a brand for sellers to to buy their their business uh, to sell their business at um so it's it's more like a, a b2b brand um you know that that should stand for for our values and uh, that has a portfolio of consumer brands but mm-hmm. we, we're not mm-hmm. going to put a, a quality stamp on, on top of it right Right. And uh, what you said about Amazon, I'm not quite sure that Amazon is not really interested in uh, doing uh, branding themselves. There are investigations ongoing into Amazon's practices of using the seller's data in order to uh, run their own products, uh, competing products, and uh, maybe even show them higher in, uh, the, in the search. So what's your, what's your take on this? Is it something that you see as a threat uh, for, uh, for your own business? Well, let me put it like this. I mean, I've I've had the platform view when I when I built the Fitchy, right? So we we started with with retail, where we, uh, as Amazon, bought and resold products. Then we launched our own private labels, um, you know, to that we're competing with some of the brands, uh, especially the lower end ones. Um, and then we also launched our marketplace that came to represent thirty percent of of sales. So th- I think the truth is that. Amazon is where it is right now because of its marketplace, which represents 60% of their sales, just because of this vast portfolio um, that, that, that they're building. And, you know, if you go to a shopping, if you go to a supermarket into a certain aisle, you have like five different products for, for a certain category. And there you have suddenly hundreds and thousands. So, and you cannot do that with your own retail, right? You always have to focus on, on the top of the A curve. So, Will they always, you know, position Amazon Basics or you know their their own their own products uh, at at certain peak products for sure, and and it's good. But will it be something that is very very broad and will take back over the marketplace sales? Definitely not. The economics just don't make sense, and marketplace is very profitable for for Amazon as well. 
So it makes, uh, yeah. So I think that there's a there's a natural. I think it's a symbiosis. It's good for both sides. And also, you know, what what you mentioned, it's going to be more difficult uh, for Amazon to defend <laughs> not having looked at the data from the marketplace side to launch their own product. You know, which as it's already transparent for us, it's it's transparent for everyone. I think I think this is definitely a co coexistence, and um, you know, also from. I think a little bit about the trend of, of what we are doing is also super in line with what, what Amazon wants for the marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, better quality pictures, better quality products, uh, working capital to not have our stock outs. And also, I think we are very aligned with Amazon because we, um, you know, we're going through FBA fulfillment by Amazon. So we're completely 100% aligned with their um, delivery strategy. Uh, and if their drones going to fly someday, we will, our products will be in the drones. So uh, <laughs> So I think I think we are very very well aligned with with the Amazon incentives and strategy. Are you actually in touch with uh, Amazon in Germany or uh, globally or elsewhere? Are you like talking to them on any sort of regular basis? Yes, yes. I mean, we we are in touch on on different levels because obviously we're we're buying sellers and um, you know then you need to do all of the different registrations and we're making sure on uh, yeah on levels that we do everything along the guidelines uh, that, mm-hmm. that Amazon has has established, which is which is very, very important. Right. And uh, since you are monitoring uh, the marketplace really closely and you can uh, you can see which categories are getting bigger and what has potential and stuff. So if you see one of these categories, but at the same time, you don't see the right player in it, would you actually consider launching something on your own? Yes, I would say I would say so. Not necessarily if I don't have a seller at all, right? But mm-hmm. if I have a seller that does something similar, um, you know, has supplier relationships uh, where we think um, we can leverage certain supplier relationships to have a good quality product quickly, uh, we we would we would probably yeah we we could do that. But this is not our our main business, right? Our main business right now is to to acquire the companies who already made it, right? Uh, because um, you know, there's there's two million two million sellers on on Amazon right now, uh, active sellers more or less. There's mm-hmm. about one million new ones coming in, one million uh, churning every year. So probably the product launching business is not the best one anymore. <laughs> Five years ago, <laughs> this 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 really was uh, was 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 crazy. Um, uh, you know, whatever you launched, you could be uh, on on the on the first spot in in a great in a big category uh, within a few days. So those times are kind of over. Um, so that's why also acquiring the ones that have made it there and uh, you have proven to to defend that position, uh, I think that's that's our business model. However, um, you know, if there's a category um, that is really not very well, uh, not very competitive yet, uh, and you can be in, within a few days on 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 the, on the top, that's definitely something we're going to look in into. And also, uh, as I said, this is our vision in the future, really. Uh, launch an innovative innovative products uh, ourselves, uh, new brands. Uh, but you know, we also need to focus. And right now, it's uh, it's roll up time. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. You know what you're saying about the market sounds very similar to what we see in the in podcasting. There, there used to be times where there were very few new podcasts coming up, and right now we have like thousands of shows. I think every week uh, appearing. Mm. So <laughs> maybe it's also not a good time to launch a new podcast these days. Anyway, thank you so much uh, for uh, joining, Marta, and uh, good luck uh, with uh, Seller X and good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. 
And this is it for our today's special episode. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope that you enjoyed it and found something useful. Once again, now is a great time to go to tech.eu slash voicemail and leave your message. That's tech.eu slash voicemail. We would be thrilled to hear your voice. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at tech.eu. Audio engineering, as usual, is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. I will talk to you again on Friday. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sane, and take care. Bye-bye.